Welcome to Scarlet Tavern. Grab a drink, take a seat, and let's begin. On tonight's episode, we will be discussing the haunting in Connecticut. We welcome back the Warrens into this episode. With them involved, this must be true. This is the Scarlet Tavern. We are back. Um, yes. I want to welcome everybody back. Um, at the time of recording this, it is the Tuesday before Easter. Um, by the time this comes out, it'll be uh, May, almost June. Um, but yeah, at the time of recording this, it's almost Easter. So uh, we want to wish everybody a happy Easter on Sunday. Um, and I want to kind of kick it off. We obviously, we have, um, Kara and Elliot back with us, uh, this week. So, um, we want to welcome them as well, but I want to kick this off with a question because everybody comes from different upbringings, different cultures and things like that. So I want to ask everybody what growing up both growing up and now what is your easter tradition uh hmm. ben being the catholic especially growing nothing up. <laughs> nothing easter despite its its significance in christianity Go. My mother would plant an Easter an Easter basket when I was younger. I'd be a little kid and try and find it, but I grew up in a really teeny, teeny tiny home. So after after like that, I remember after like maybe three years of my mother attempting to hide it, she just kind of like, well, I've run out of places to hide it, so she just stopped doing it. Um, we would just I would get like one gift, which would usually be a movie. And whatever candy that would last me for half the year. Till Halloween. Um, yeah, and, well, actually, in some cases, it'd be a little longer because I just I was one of those weird kids who just never liked candy. Even today, I I'll, I'm I'll a, eat I'm candy. Not that big of a candy person either. I I I joke when I got older. I used to joke to my parents. I told them that you know if a stranger tried to lure me away with candy, they would fail like ten out of ten times. I'd never go near them. Now, if they tried to lure me away with mozzarella sticks, ben, yeah, you'd find me. I have breaded cheese in my van. <laughs> how, how, yeah. how, what, a double order, single order? Steaming hot breaded cheese. Big <sighs> loaf. With marinara sauce. Okay, with now ranch. you lost me. <laughs> with ranch. Ew! Ew! <laughs> what is wrong with you? I have, but yeah, I, I have hey, folded hey, pizza with pineapple on it. I hate okay, now I, I quit. No, yeah, no, no, no. yeah. Pineapple on pizza is amazing. No, you're you're mm-hmm. you're wrong. Give you the it's so you, good. They, you, you, it was meant to be. It yes. was never no. Um, but no, I never really had an Easter tradition. I we just it was just, it it was just another another day. Obviously, we knew the significance of it and our our thing. But I mean, it just wasn't that big of a deal i mean i we put more we put more significance uh religious significance on like christmas and 
and stuff like that. We never, Easter was just, and I feel like it's mostly because Easter was, they always say Christmas was heavily commercialized, but it's nothing compared to Easter. So, obviously we don't want to get into the political side, but obviously the original Easter is pagan. Um, It was named after Eoster. And that is where the basically what happened is the the Christians did have their version of Easter, but they took the pagan name and some of their traditions to make it easier for the pagans to transition into Christianity and make it more welcoming to them, which is why Easter exists as it does now, because the uh, eggs and the bunny are a pagan tradition uh it symbolizes fertility Fertility and um so and that just kind of carried over and the the christians just kind (laughs) of use the pagan symbols still um but yeah it's originally named after eoster which is a norse pagan god um or goddess uh but yeah so um, we start growing up, obviously I grew up in a very religious household. Um, it was Easter Sunday. We would go to church, do all of the Easter stuff. Everybody would dress up, dress all nice. You'd have to have your suit and tie on and all of that. And then you would... And then you had Easter lunch, so you would leave and you'd have your ham and your your typical Easter feast uh, with the family. And then the kids would do the Easter eggs and there would be melted candy inside the Easter eggs because I'm from Florida. Candy melts inside of plastic <laughs> eggs in the Florida sun Does, in April. Aaron, I don't think you thought that. I, I, Aaron, I don't think you thought that one through. Yeah. It, um, as we got older, we got money. Um, inside the eggs. you got money. Yeah, we we would, we would no, get feel, change, and I then f- you would get some really good ones that would have like a five ten dollar bill in it. Oh, okay. Now, now that I'm okay, the memories are coming back. Yes, my grandmother did yeah, do it's that. It's always a the grandparents times. that do that. They would put. Yeah. You'd have like some eggs that had like pennies in it and stuff like that, and then you'd have like the one egg that has like five and ten dollars in it. My cousins always found. The my grandma, my grandparents only put like a doll, a couple dollars. I think like they, I think once someone found a five, I always found the pennies and the dimes. My cousins always got the cash. I was, oh. um, but yeah, other than that, um, and then our church would always hold an Easter egg hunt, and so we would do that, and of course, uh, pictures with the Easter bunny and stuff like that. Um, now I don't do any of that, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, I mean, some of those costumes of the Easter Bunny are kind of creepy. I'm oh, the old, you. like, 70s ones? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Kara. Yeah. What did you do back in, as a kid, compared to what you do now? Um, get, uh, come back to me, because... Food's about done. Okay. So. Elliot. 
Um, it's kind of similar to yours. Besides, we didn't really go to church. We kind of made it um, instead of going to church and having the the feast with the. I'm not sure if you had the feast with the churchgoers, but um, it was always at my grandmom's house. Uh, at um, some, every once in a while, we would have like a Passover where they would do yeah. it, they would do it the the week before. Yeah, we would we would go straight to my um, grandparents' house. We would do the same with the the eggs. The when we got older, it turned into baskets. Um, and then we went to my grandmother's house, and we would do like the little feast with the ham, um, mashed potatoes, corn, all that good stuff. Um, and just kind of spend the day there for the most part. Um, the kids still have like Easter eggs that they go and find. Um, you know, it was nice. Uh, we still kind of do that to this day. Um, if usually I don't get a basket anymore, obviously. Um, but like they'll usually get me like a little chocolate Reese cup egg. My mother still will find will still gather like a little tiny thing for me and Pam and yeah. give it to us. And it's like here's your Easter basket. And I was like, okay, batteries. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get something. Actually, yeah. I I love it. If she, were, my mother were to give me batteries, and I actually would be stuff. very happy. Yeah, useful I was like, stuff. if she gave me batteries, to, to like, I'd be like, oh, gee, thanks. You just saved me a trip to CVS. Well, no, like I, so I went to Dollar Tree today. I I was like, I was, I, uh, my goal was to make dinner with everything from Dollar Tree that I could to see if I could do it, and I did. I had the chicken already. And then I got the noodles, the garlic, everything I needed because I make my Alfredo from scratch. Um, yeah. And I got literally everything I needed from Dollar Tree. But I went into Dollar Tree today, and at least the one I went to, they have a dollar more section where everything's like 3 and $5. And you can get like lunch boxes and uh bath mats and welcome mats and towels and stuff like that i was like jesus christ first it's a dollar 25 now you're having a whole section where it's three and five dollars um but with that um i don't want to take up too much time because i want to get into this um ben is going to take this today mm -hmm. um so go ahead ben all right, so tonight we will be exploring the Snedeker haunting, family hauntings. In the late 1980s, a series of paranormal incidents were said to have occurred in the home of the Snedeker family in Southington, Connecticut. The family would claim that gruesome and horrific acts of physical and sexual abuse would occur to various members of the family over a period of many years. This haunting would draw much notoriety and attention, particularly from the from the famous and controversial paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. And this, this means that this story is true. <laughs> the truest of the true. Yes, absolutely. This is a story that would help launch some well-known paranormal television series and movies. This is the story of a haunting in Connecticut. In dun, 1986. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, wrong. Yeah, we, we, yeah. No, yeah, we, we, need, we, we need to add another music thing to that. I felt like okay. I needed I, some. I return. Dun, dun, dun. Very good. I return. 
1986, Carmen and Al Snedeker regularly drove long distances from their home in northern New York to a specialized doctor to treat their son, Philip, who suffered from Hodgkin's disease. They soon decided the toll of commuting from northern New York to Connecticut was taking too much of a financial and emotional toll and decided to move closer to the son's medical treatment center. They soon found a home for rent in Southington, Connecticut. The Stenecker family found the, the new home uh, spacious enough for themselves and also their nieces who decided to live with them as well. Uh, during the renovations of the home, they specifically the basement, which they were converting into two bedrooms for their children, um, Al Snedeker discovered uh, mortuary tools and equipment, including a pulley system for lifting caskets, uh, casket handles, and a uh, blood drainage pit. pit. Excuse me. Um, they, by their accounts, this is when they discovered that their new home had, for several years before they moved in, had been a funeral home. Uh, undaunted, they continued to convert the basement into bedrooms for their two sons. And this is as early as the first night that they, they, uh, the boys were sleeping in the room. This is when the paranormal activity they claimed would start. Um, uh, Philip, go ahead. So, for those that don't know, um, they were talking about the son having Hodgkin's disease. Correct? It's the son? Yes. Um, yes. So, this is... For those that don't know, this is Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, Hodgkin's lymphoma is a brutal, brutal cancer. Starts in the white blood cells. Um, you'll see lymph nodes swelling, um, typically in the arms is usually where it's seen, uh, like neck, armpits, stuff like that, um, even the groin. Fatigue, fever, chills. Um, it is treatable with chemo and radiation. Some pe- a lot of people have beat Hodgkin's lymphoma, but that is the ones that are healthy. Uh, it's typically highest among teens and adults, like 15 to 39. Um, and then older adults, 75 and older. The older ones are the ones that usually die from it. Hodgkin's lymphoma is not fun at all it is one of the worst cancers to get yes it is um so philip would complain of hearing strange noises and voices in his room he would also he also would say that he saw shadowy figures in in his room and in the basement area he'd also said that he saw a man with white hair wearing a pinstripe suit and hey also said he had uh black eyes so um he became very terrified by these apparitions and just by being in his room he would often beg his parents to just let him stay overnight at the hospital instead of coming home which is pretty bad if anybody's had to spend overnight at the hospital i wouldn't wish that on anybody this kid was begging for it. Should tell you that should tell you something. Uh, yeah, despite... having had a few overnights myself, yeah, no. Well, despite his insistence that these events are happening, his parents, uh, well, they simply blamed these on the hallucinations of his medical treatment and the stress of medical care. 
Uh, also around this time, his uh, his mood and his attitude started to change. They said that he started wearing leather. He started to develop a strong interest in the occult. So he played D&D. Yeah, I was like... <laughs> and listened to rock music. Yeah, I was looking and I was yeah. like, well, half of this describes my, my, my father, God rest his soul, when he was in the 80s. He was a kid in the eighties. I was like, I mean, you were a kid in the eighties, but I was born in eighty eight. I'm more. <laughs> I am a child of the nineties, sir. <laughs> You're an adult of the nineties. <laughs> Funny. Um, his behavior also became started to become more erratic and violent to the point where his family actually had to send him away. He also, after this, he at one point tried to break into his neighbor's house in order to steal a gun and to kill his father, Al. And he also is to allege, allegedly, he also assaulted one of his female cousins as well. Uh, after Philip left the house, the other children reported activity increased with them becoming the center of attention of it um, after Philip left. They claimed to see ghosts, unusual activities, and um, Carmen and Al also started becoming the victim of these occurrences as well. Carmen alleges while she was mopping the floor, the water in the bucket became uh, blood red. Um, Al and Carmen would also allege that their bed would begin to shake at the, in the rhythm of a heartbeat. So imagine that you're just laying in bed and you just feel a thump, 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 thump. Like that. That's how they would describe it. Mm -hmm. sure. uh, oh, it, it's we're 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 just getting into it. Uh, they also reported strange uh, electrical occurrences would happen in the home. Mean being, they would turn on a light and there would be a very unusual glow or hue of the light bulb in question. They would. Now, if they took, like, if it was a lamp, they would take, it would glow strangely in their home, but the moment they took it out of the home, according to them, and plug it into their neighbor's home and plug it in, it would just be a regular light. There would be no strange anything. So, the strange hue of turning on a light in your eyes trying to adjust to the light. Yeah. I feel like, I'm not sure to the extent that uh, Hodgkin's and the treatment can really take mentally on somebody. Um, but I think it's possible that it started as hallucinations, just like they mentioned earlier. Um, and I mean, because if I was very sick with a very deadly disease, um, the last thing I would want to do is live in a place that was a funeral home. That would be yeah. the only thing on my mind. Um, and I, I think that it's possible that that mixed with the other stress possibly caused a fracture, um, in this poor young man's mental state and his sister had no choice but to really go along to make him not feel crazy in this terrible moment in his life. Okay. Additionally to these uh, strange electrical occurrences, the family also started reporting foul odors reported throughout the house. This is include they would describe it as human bo, uh, fecal matter, and uh, the smell of blood. So probably what the Warrens' house actually smelled like. <laughs> if you ever see what's in their little museum, yeah, probably. Ugh, no, thank you. 
Uh, despite these incidents happening over the course of some years, uh, the family actually did not consider the situation dangerous until the incident started to turn violent. Uh, one incident described by Carmen uh, Snedeker while she, while she was showering, quote, the shower curtain very quickly wrapped around me and I couldn't push away. She believes that this thing was trying to kill me. Uh, another incident described by the niece alleges that the entity began to uh, molest and sexually assault her while she slept at night, and in her words, laughed a hideous laugh when it when it went above her shirt and out the window. So, Alan Carmen. In, in other words, the mother had just seen American Psycho, or had we just seen Psycho into... because the wrapping of the. Of the shower, shower curtain. curtain. That's psycho. And um, after the incident described, um, Al, Al and Carmen also began report, also reported being disturbed by uh, the entity and in what they described as an unearthly atmosphere in their bed. Supposedly, they heard uh, 1930s ambient moon music just before one or both of them were assaulted. The couple claimed that they were both sexually assaulted by this unknown paranormal entity multiple times. I'm sorry, uh, Carmen... but all I can think of is bow, wow, wow, wow. Right before the ghost is like, you know what? I'm going to rape you, but I'm going to get in the mood first. And yeah, hit, I, hits I, the I radio. I tried looking it up, and I really couldn't find. There was anything. probably a radio station back then that yeah. had mood music. Um, Carbon also alleges that that once, while her niece niece was being abused, uh, the niece ran down the street screaming, and apparently, all while this is go, she's running down the street, and Carbon is running after her. The the niece is being abused along the entire way. Um, it girl. is at at this point the incidents have started to gain uh, publicity and they drew the attention of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, at this point in the Warrens' careers, the Warrens are actually considered a household name, mostly for their involvement in the Amityville murders and other subsequent cases of the Perone family uh, hauntings. Um, uh, they co they concluded that the Snedeker house was infested with demons, kind of like cockroaches. Um, after this conclusion, they supposedly arranged with the Catholic Church for an exorcism for the family and cleansed the house. Afterwards, the family moved out of the house and reported no further paranormal incidents. To say that these claims of these Seneca family are extraordinary are a bit of an understatement but they are not without their flaws and inconsistencies. One of the main complaints brought by interviewers and others who have questioned the validity of these claims is the inconsistency of the family to keep the story straight. Many of the incidents reported by the niece, whose name they used is Kelly, this is not her real name, on a televised interview also bear a striking similarity to the other niece named Tammy, who claims uh, claims made in another interview. Now it should also be note 
it should also be noted that several of these family members do not actually use their names. We do not actually know the names of these nieces, other than what has been presented in the televised interview and in the, the subsequently booked up, um, the subsequent book called In a Dark Place, written by Ray Groughton, uh, which is based on this incident. We do not actually know these names, so in theory, we don't even know if these nieces exist. Because other than the handful of televised interviews where there is a two young women are presented on TV as their nieces, we don't know anything about them. Yeah, it's the actors for all we know. Exactly. Um, and as like and as said, these the incidents described by one niece all more or less are a copy and paste of the other from the other niece in another interview. Another dispute um, that is actually that is one of the core elements of this of the criticism is the fact of whether or not the family knew that this house was uh, previously a funeral home. Uh, Daryl Kern, the owner of the house, says that he disclosed the history of the house and that Alan Carmen were aware that the house used to be a funeral home. Uh, some of the neighbors say that there was at one point just when they were showing the house, there was actually a faded sign in the front yard that read Hallahan Funeral Home. Although Carmen claims that the sign was covered up in plywood. Uh, they were uh, they were just dying to have the house. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, shame on them for moving to a funeral home. I mean, you're you've been told it's a funeral home. I'm sorry, I'm not moving into a funeral home. Especially that ain't, that ain't with someone fighting an illness like that, like I would want them as far away from any kind of feelings like that. As that possible. ain't happening. Well, I mean, I know. mean, we we can acknowledge the fact that the family was in a bit of a bind. They don't. They are not from here. They, and as somebody, I've, I've had a few of my friends from the Air Force who've had to ha have had to uproot their lives or commute to for specialized medical care for family members. It's, it's, it's a pain. It is entirely possible that the family was just in a bind. They have no choice. They need a home. They need it. They need it cheap. So they chose it. If it's a funeral home. I mean, I if it were up, if when Pam and I have children, and if God forbid, I pray that this doesn't happen. But if I had to do it, and the only choice was move into this old mortuary, it's been it's been decommissioned for a few years, so all the stuff's out. Pam would hate it, but I'd be like, what are we gonna do? Yeah, but then to twist it like they did. And as we're gonna as we go forward, we this is exactly what it sounds like it's happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, the owner of the home and several of the neighbors contend that the stories and incidents of the paranormal activity started to occur when the family began to fall behind in the monthly rent. No. And they concocted the story in order to gain financially from the publicity. The Warrens would never expensive. allow that. I know. Yeah. I, know. I mean, uh, to be fair, treatment's expensive. It yes. is. It is. Um, Kern stated that in many interviews, the hauntings were a complete hoax. The claim of the hauntings was the work of the work of the Seneca family was reinforced by the fact that there that this home was again a very spacious home, and it was they one of the rooms in the upstairs was rented out to another tenant. Her name was uh, Sandy. 
who contends that she never encountered any paranormal activity living in the duplex and stated in the televised interview that the main motivation was, again, for money. And she confirmed that they had begun falling behind in the rent and that she was also an employee at the realty company that matched the home to the Snedeker family. And they were also fully aware of the fact that this was once a funeral home. Yeah, but that sh- that lady's room was probably because she was she uh, was had been living there a while. Her her room was off limits to haunting. Oh uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Sandy would also say that when she spoke to Carmen about uh, Carmen having nightmares and not sleeping, Sandy suggested that she take some sleeping pills and offered to get her so- give her some. But Carmen refused and said, no, it is my father coming to haunt me. I am calling the Warrens. Hmm. Who wouldn't? Yeah. Uh, another, sh- another source that sheds light on the controversial role of the Warrens in this incident is actually author Ray Groughton. Ray Groughton is a actual prolific author. Uh, author he has had some, he has written some many fine horror horror fiction novels unfortunately in his own words the in a dark place is can he what he considers the lowest point of his career and i don't blame him um he wrote the book describes the hauntings of the snedeker family uh during the research of in a dark place he actually complained to ed warren that i and he quote i became very frustrated it's hard writing a non-fiction book when all the people involved are telling you different stories uh he would complain that the stories of the various family members would not mesh would not mesh with each other carmen carmen snedeker would in some on some days she would say that she that they couldn't move because the entity would follow them no matter where they went to. Another another incident was um, she described being continuously assaulted by the entity. Another in another interview she said that she that for a while she was un, she was unaware of the hauntings and that it was mostly affecting the children. As we can see, um, he would ex- would express these sentiments and these frustrations to Ed Lauren Ed. Warren and Ray Groughton alleges that Ed Warren responded, Oh, they're crazy. All the people who come to us are crazy. You think sane people would come to us and follow this up with just you just make it up. Just use what works, just make it up and make it scary. This is probably um, listeners, is probably what really is motivating the Warrens and what is actually the main motivation behind it. Because it should also be noted that Ed and Lorraine Warren did not do did not run um, a nonprofit organization, a free paranormal investigation. This was their job. This is what they paid for. They made their income through lectures paid events, speaking tours, and I don't believe they ever charged for an investigation in a haunting. But... No, they, they just, they make royalties on any books and stuff like that. So they would have gotten royalties on the book that was written about this, because they are mentioned in it and all of that. Yeah. 
Exactly. Another uh, inconsistency of the of the incidents described by the family after be, um, living in fear and terror of the demonic presence of their home, but at they would yeah they would describe be living in fear and terror of this presence, but at least one neighbor would describe uh, on a couple of instances of seeing the family outside their home relaxing on the front porch and showing no <laughs> visible signs. Oh, sorry, was that you, Carl? No. Somebody sorry, called. something. Oh, sorry. I'm hearing things. The voices are back. It's these ghosts. I know. They, they found me. Um, not showing any visible sign of distress, and, wh and when asked why they were all outside, they would laughingly say that the house was haunted. So, obviously, a family that is by their own... Um, how they describe it, they're living essentially under siege and under terror of a, uh, an infestation of demons, yet they're just yucking it up outside. Yeah. The, um, the other thing is to, like, listen, leave. If, if it's that bad, yeah. you... Your kid is in a hospital getting treatment anyways uh even back then no matter what hospital they went to they would have been able to get in into some type of like ronald mcdonald house ronald mcdonald house has been around for a while this is what the 80s mm -hmm. so ronald mcdonald house mm -hmm. was around in the 80s the way for those that don't know for the, the ronald mcdonald house uh provides free uh, living situations, free food and everything to families who are of lesser means, whose children are going through chemotherapy and treatment for their cancer. So they, especially with them not making a lot of money, plus what's going on, they very easily could have said, hey, we need help. Ronald McDonald House is in every city in the country, every major city. And in order to treat the cancer, especially children's cancer, they would have had to go to a major city to treat his cancer. Yeah. They're not going to go to St. Joseph's and get cancer treatment. They're going to go to Cincinnati Children's. They're going to go to um, all of these big name hospitals to get this treatment. So they very easily, uh, if they were that worried, they could have gone to a Ronald McDonald house and stayed there. One of the claims, and this actually, it's interesting that you brought that up, uh, Kayla, because in a televised interview that you can actually find on YouTube, uh, one person did say more or less what you said, for the sake of your children, why didn't you leave? And the various, the, the main answer they always gave was, the entity followed us, where would we go? And they would so, leave it at that. Okay, so... There, there's two things here. Um, number one, yes, a spirit or something can attach themselves to somebody. Um, but usually when that happens, that spirit or entity will only affect that person in a negative way. Um, but they're, they're also talking about 
everybody being affected by this and multiple things. So, and my other thing of this not being true is usually when a house is haunted and, or somebody's attached to they, those spirits don't leave those places. So like the niece running down the street and being attacked while running down the street, that's not going to happen. That's impossible. That entity is not leaving that house if it's attached to that house. And I I can almost guarantee you that if there was anything there because of it being an old funeral home, it's attached to that house and not to anybody there. They them leaving the house and they I'm sure they were religious. So it never really specified whether they were or not. But look at where um, they are in the eighties. They're they're probably yeah. religious. They're probably they Catholic or Christian. They had a, a exorcism done. Yeah. So well, allegedly, and we allegedly. will. Uh, well, and we that that's the thing. People. Like, if if you're so worried about these demons, you're worried about all of this stuff. You call for an exorcism. You call for a cleansing, whatever, and then you leave. Yeah. Because then you go into the house. Guess what? That thing's not following you anymore. This is, uh, it's just the bricks being laid down one on top of the other for a throne of lies. Exactly. And as we, as we continue this, the, that throne is just going to get more elaborate. So one of the main, um, one of the main aspects of these incidents that occurred was that this entity was sexually um, molesting and assaulting the various family members. Now, this would also describe how the entity would follow them. It would constantly harass them. It would never leave them. And this was a very big thing, especially with the nieces who were young, who were um, young, young women. Um, this was a very striking thing. And it, in this time, it was very, very familiar because this is also the plot line to the 1982 film, The Entity. Yeah. No. Uh, the, en- the Entity is actually a movie. This is actually a movie my mother, wa- one of a movie that my mother saw, um, probably saw it in theaters because it's 1982 and she was, you know, going out to theaters back then. Uh, the entity, the plot of the movie is basically is about a young woman who starts being menaced by a demonic poltergeist entity, who also sexually assaults and harasses the main character. And often enough, the character would move. Like at first, she thought this was a haunting or demonic presence in the home. She left. It followed her. It even got so to the point where they, in the movie, they set up like a controlled laboratory, and the same thing was happening. This person. The house wasn't haunted. This woman, the, the character in the movie was haunted. Um, this is one, and the, the incidents that were described by the nieces read read as if they almost came right off the script. When you act, when you look at the movie, the entity, and how and the main plot points, and then do a side by side comparison, the the similarities are very clear as day. So and, and- the. You're gonna, we're gonna see that in a lot of the hauntings that we cover. Um, there's, it's very rare for especially these high publicized hauntings to be legit. Um, mm-hmm. Most of them happen 
right after a movie comes out. Um, these people have seen, just went and saw the poltergeist and now, oh, there's a poltergeist in my house. I'm going to make money off of this. Maybe they could make a movie off of me, especially the, the movies that say that they're based on a true story. Um, and like, uh, you'll, we'll get into, we're going to do like the exorcism of Emily Rose and things like that. Um, Blair Witch. we are doing the Blair Witch as well, mm-hmm. but all, all of those, all of this stuff is happening after these movies comes out and they are yeah. blatantly the movies to a T same thing with the alien abductions. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of them are really the only one that wasn't like alien abduction was, um, Travis, uh, Walton. Yes, his his wasn't like the movies. Obviously, now a movie was made off of his stuff, but um, great movie. We'll we'll yes. cover Travis Walton and talk about it. But um, yeah, so um, all all of these are this stuff to a T, and we're gonna see that as we touch on all this other hauntings. Another another um point in this. And this whole drama of the haunting is actually the role of their son, Philip. Now, in Ray Groton's book, it is alleged, he alleges that Philip was actually caught uh, fondling one of his female cousins. And when questioned by the police, he admitted to committing this crime habitually and doing so secretly at night and was never caught doing so. He even admitted to having a incestuous desire for his cousin and even once tried to sleep with her. After this, yeah, yeah. After this admission, Philip was taken. Uh, Well, I don't know. (laughs) This is Alabama. This is people in Connecticut are strange, and to any listeners in Connecticut, you know you are. Don't 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 try and lie. Same thing with Alabama. Uh, You you know. (laughs) After this submission, uh, Philip was actually taken to a juvenile detention center and evaluated by a psychiatrist there who diagnosed him as a schizophrenic. So it is actually very possible that um, the incidents by the nieces, while these incidents, it's possible they may have occurred, but instead of being a poltergeist or a demonic presence, this is just their coping mechanism for the fact that their cousin just sexually assaulted them. Exactly. Which happens. But it feels like the other stories by the parents and such like that was kind of made to push it under. Well, well, what, what happens a lot, and this is coming from both law enforcement experience and medical, is when you do have traumas like this of sexual assault, not, and not just from a family member, but from anybody. Um, and obviously sexual assault is not something to be taken lightly. Um, and you, uh, when, uh, experience with that. Yeah. So when, when sexual assault happens, you a lot of people try and put walls up and use different coping mechanisms and they'll they'll sling stories that make them feel better like especially mm-hmm. with it being an incestual relationship yeah it's that's obviously not right morally you know it's not right morally 
And so it makes them feel better and not feel as bad about themselves by saying, Mm -hmm. oh, a ghost sexually assaulted me, a demon sexually assaulted me. Um, And it's very, very common in sexual assault cases to come up with something other than the real victim. It should also be um, should be noted that um, with a lot of these, um, with this, um, I found very interesting about this is that despite Philip the son having a essentially starting this haunting, he seems to be very conspicuously absent for a majority yeah. of these things. After a certain point, he just starts acting now, which actually really honestly sounds like a teenager thing. He just he's just kind of shuffled off, and we never see him again until Ray Groughton starts writing the the book, and he starts seeing the making these allegations, but we never hear from him or anything. Um, so, question: Was it only this specific female cousin that was speaking about being assaulted? I, I remember it was uh, also the parents. The parents also spoke of it. There were two nieces, two cousins. Um, mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, the most, both of them made the allegations of the same thing. But as we've seen, we don't where one ends and the other begins is yeah. un- unknown. It could have been both. It could have just been the one. It, it probably was neither, honestly, or at least. Uh, however it was, like I said, if it was just a regular, unfortunate sexual assault that was just coped with, um, uh, it is hard to determine, but it seems to just be the one cousin that was the center of Philip's alleged, um, impropriety. Um, It it definitely feels like they're trying to brush it under the rug. It really feels, honestly, it feels like, yes, they were trying to brush it under the rug as best they can, but then they decided to add to their story to spice it up, I guess. Yeah, you know? and really capitalize off of their niece's horrific experience. And they're, uh, one of, the, one of the, the, the key points that a lot of people point out is that the the Snedekers very much their neighbors did not support them except for like yeah. maybe a couple of their a couple of their neighbors who their and all they the most they would do is is that one, one neighbor contended that they probably did actually encounter some paranormal activity in the home. But it was not to the degree mm-hmm. that that they reported and were simply found an opportunity to make some money off of it. Yeah. I feel like it's if it was f- so many people, somebody would have shown signs. And, of course, a lot. one of the things for you me know? was the whole incident of the niece running down the street screaming while she, and being abused while the whole time. Again, I, who, who's not hearing this? This is yeah. – Southington, Connecticut is a suburb. It's a suburb. It's not a rural town. This is a suburban town of Hartford, Connecticut. This is a very built-up area. It was built up in the eighties. Pretty sure someone, someone would have looked out. Yeah, and and there would have been some kind of like indent to show that something is present on her person. Well, not not course. necessarily. Not not all entities do leave marks. 
Um, it really depends on the entity and the and the mm-hmm. the the level of torture. Um, but I will say that with this, I mean, to be honest, this would have happened nowadays. She would have been psyche valved very quickly. Yeah, claim Bear. openly claiming this, she would have been psyche valved and she would have failed. Absolutely. Um, one other sticking point of this, and this is this this is the behavior of Ed Warren throughout this investigation, uh, or at least it's to the point of when he, the Warrens did show up. Yeah, uh, it, it it is no surprise. Ed probably did no favors to his credibility, reputation, or the reputation or credibility of this haunting with his behavior, which was described at best as uh off-putting uh edward no no not edward no way never edward was described as being very argumentative combative and belligerent to anybody who showed even the slightest doubt um in many of the interviews he would not he would routinely uh shout down or um talk down shout down anybody any of the uh the critics neighbors he would he actually accused some of the neighbors of the Snedeker family of being paid off by the landlord so that the landlord could just extort money from the Snedeker family i mean it's it's called back rent so so this and this is this isn't just this case um this is frequent with the warrens um ed warren was known to have a temper and known to this is how he got successful is he bullied and scared people into shutting up and going along with the stories that he was telling he is a god-fearing person i i can tell you right now everybody uh our listeners there if you if you're if you're a fan of the Conjuring movies, which I am, I love the Conjuring movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not so much the Annabelle movies, but the con- but the actual core Conjuring ones. That's the ones. Uh, we're, uh, we're good. They paint the if do they not paint rely them as on fucking that. heroes. Oh my yeah, yeah. and that's God. especially and that that is they... that is because of the Warrens. The Warrens yeah. literally paid them to say, "Hey, make us look good." Yeah, and that's my why God, I read that kind of tongue-in-cheek <laughs> because in those movies they are portrayed as god-fearing mm-hmm. husband and wife i mean the woman's a and, right right and like, you know Jesus, um, put, a cape, put a cape on her she's, she's yeah. just like yeah super heroin um ed warren would um again he would frequently um become abusive there was one um incident that's actually they you if you actually watch the conjuring movie they actually um it's taken out of context because it was um the actual debate was with the snedeker where they had one of his critics i forget his name um but he was a very he's a very famous critic of haunted houses and he said and he is quoted saying i never met a house that was haunted and ed warren never found a house that wasn't haunted and this is very true. Ed and Larry yeah. Warren would go into a home. It's haunted. Right. It's haunted. It's always haunted. Right. Um, 
one of the that's that's what they built their business on exactly and it's very important this is a business now right it's it to be fair you this as they did this as a business it is you should we you know if this is how they make their income and charge people for at least like speaking and writing tours and everything that's their prerogative they made it their business but it seems that they that was their main motivation for it and instead of being serious investigators they seem to just as he said we just find we just find all the crazy people same people don't come to us yeah they're like manipulating the mentally vulnerable for their own gain it really feels like that way and one of the contentions that this is something that i point out is a very inconsistency and i'm i just don't get how people just don't get this is one of the things is that they arranged, they said they arranged an exorcism with the church for the Seneca family to cleanse it with a father with a person they called Father A. Um, no name. They said that they had worked with him before, um, but when pressed, when pressed about like a, who is this? What is his name? Father A, Arthur, whatever. He's like, no, it's Father A. That's all you're saying, and that's all I have to say. I don't have to tell you anymore. Um, when they question the validity of this, saying, okay, yeah, you're making this up. He he. Um, exploded in a tirade and said, "Listen, this is this father is real. This was a real exorcism, and you can read it in public records at the chancery. Um, this is not true. First off, if you go to the Archdiocese of Hartford, which covers Southington, Connecticut, there is no record of an exorcism. Further to the point, the church does not publicly disclose exorcisms. I will say this." And I'm not taking his side. In his mind, it may have been a real exorcism. However, it was not a sanctioned exorcism. And yeah. there is a huge difference. There so is. The Catholic Church will not, in a majority of cases, sanction an exorcism of whether it be a house or a person for fear of bad publicity. So this, so this this is my thing. I don't believe it's a real priest. Um, no, no, I, I, I have no doubt. I think because if he were a real priest and this was sanctioned by the Catholic Church, they would have no problem releasing the name. The Catholic Church would release the name. They no, they will not actually. So this is something that I have learned as going to Catholic schools and talking to a number of priests. They will not actually do that. They will not do. They will not disclose. They do not disclose exorcisms. They don't disclose the identities. They don't. They, this is a very closely guarded sea because Aaron says the Vatican has to sanction it. They don't sanction right. these yeah. very often. And a lot of it is, like you said, reputation, because if this goes bad, as we see with Emily Rose, it went bad and she died, which you can die in an exorcism. People have died in exorcisms right. through either whether they be a, not a real exorcism well, it's because and someone being tortured. So, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or there is a, it is an actual real exorcism and the demonic entity decided to be like, fuck you, <laughs> kill the person. Um but they don't reveal this there is you cannot just go to the vatican to the archdiocese or whatever you can look up hey who who, who got an exorcism in my neighborhood no they're never going to do that in fact the the um 
the boy actually who was the inspiration behind the movie and the book the exorcist he went into his all the records of the church that were used he was known as roland doe that was his name that's yeah, when if like the record exactly because they just they protect your privacy they do not do that because again reputation plus the fact everybody's gonna keep going to the church and say my child is possessed by a demon yeah. they're acting out it's like that's called teenage it's called puberty madam please raise your child properly <laughs> um or people with <laughs> men, with serious mental illnesses that saying need I need, yeah. that, yes you're exactly need help church the church one of the things the church will do when they when they if they are called to investigate demonic possession Unless you have a pre-existing condition that, that denies you the, the prevention of this, you will be pumped full of every antidepressant and antipsychotic medicine known to science. So to make sure to see, okay, does this work? Does this work? Oh, okay, yeah, he he had this. He's not he's not possessed. Um. So well, well, to go back to what I was saying, is this he I. Obviously, it's not sanctioned by the church, but I don't. I don't believe he was a real priest at all. I no. think this guy was an actor that they hired to bring in and fake an exorcism, convince the family that. So what? What happens? And what has happened is there actually has been, and we will talk about this. There has been an exorcism that was televised. Um there was an exorcism in the nineties that was televised. Um, and we, we will be discussing that one because it's very rare. Um, but though what a lot of times what happens with exorcisms, especially back in the, especially with fake ones like this is they are pumping them full of medications that they're, bodies don't need because they don't have whatever illness they're suspecting because god forbid they bring in a real doctor and let let's let a priest make a medical diagnosis it, it makes no sense um so instead of bringing in a doctor they bring in a priest to make a medical diagnosis the priest then gives them the wrong medication which then they have a reaction to and start displaying signs of a a reaction such as sweating and not being able to speak properly so they're claiming that this is a demon speaking through them and this yeah. and that and so that's what i believe that this guy was doing is putting all this all this stuff in there he's dosing them up with meds to make them do this and then showing the family like hey there's there's a demon i'm going to exercise them gives them the meds to bring them down from whatever he gave them and boom exorcism done well and, and here's another thing that needs to be noted uh, the, the the son that was mm -hmm. philip. molesting philip was diagnosed allegedly. allegedly he was diagnosed schizophrenic yes right mm -hmm. yep. that is hereditary yeah so more than likely the mother and or father or both 
or schizophrenic. Possibly it. Right. Schizophrenia can skip generations. Um, it can, sure, but it doesn't normally. But it's also not normal for both parents to have schizophrenia. But if the and I think it's if I remember correctly, it's more it, predetermined for the female. It no, nah, I I think schizophrenia is somebody will correct us, but I think schizophrenia is paternal. Um. And like uh, bipolar is maternal, I believe. Um, I can I can well, look it up as as we continue. But um, those that know, chime in. But yeah, so um, it, it's very it's very possible that that they were schizophrenic and hearing the voices and that that is also something that happens a lot with. Yeah. Exorcisms is the schizophrenia. They're hearing the voices. They're responding to the voices. Um, another thing that you hear is the bipolar, where they're having different, different moods, yeah. and right. sometimes, mm -hmm. especially for people, a lot of the exorcisms that we see are uh, in other countries. Uh, they're really common there. They're they're obviously a lot more became a lot more common in the U.S. But you get people that are bilingual. So one of those bipolar swings brings them into another language that people mm -hmm. didn't, people say, Oh, I didn't know they could speak that language. We're, yeah, we're, it, we're in Italy. Why are they speaking Italian? Yeah. <laughs> and mania can do intense things. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, also speaking of the pen into the schizophrenia with, in, with Philip, um, it is pot. It would also explain some of the, uh, hallucination if, if hallucinations because he reported seeing a man in, with black eyes white hair pinstripe suit he's already in an environment that he's like hey i used to be where the dead people are he's yeah i would i i remember growing up and my dad would occasionally he had to take jobs for construction work down in the southern tier of western new york he would just be like Oh, they're putting us up in the hotel for the weekend. And I didn't grow up in the nicest neighborhoods. And so me and my mother would be like locking it. it, it what was it that? Uh, it was before the movie The Purge. But you know that little. Yeah, and you just like that was just me and my mom locking everything down. And we just be like, you hear a little creak. What is that? What is that? Yeah. What is that? You just you jump at shadows. So imagine if this kid does have schizophrenia. He's in an environment. He's got the stress and mania of dealing with his potentially life-ending cancer. Oh, and I'm I I'm in a room that was once used to prepare the dead for burial. Yeah. Uh, nightmare fuel, anybody? Um, but I think really I think the thing to take away from all this is that. This really feels like a hoax. Maybe they encountered paranormal activity. Maybe they didn't. It's but it seems like the very cold, cruel exploitation of two people, of yeah. their children, of their family. Yeah. Make a quick buck and then swoop yeah. in the warrants to just make get their cut right. of the pie. Right. I think it's very possible that there was minute incidences. You know, uh, an unexplained noise, you know, uh, this, that, or the other. It, it happens. And 
and I think that was the the spark that they needed. I, you know? I, and they just started adding fuel to that, get that fire going, call in the Warrens, and boom, now we have this raging inferno going, and let's make a buck. I don't. Egg, I know? I don't think there was anything that sparked it. I beside and, besides besides them needing money, I don't think there was any noises or anything because the other person that lived in that building said they heard absolutely nothing. And there is yeah. there there is absolutely no way that they heard stuff that she didn't in the same building. Nobody all the witnesses, the people who spoke out against the Snedeker family, none of these people benefit from lying, lying right. about them. Right. The only people who benefit really from the situation in line are the Senecers. They get out of their back rent. They make money. They get out of possibly a bad living situation that they don't want to be in it anymore. They benefit. The Warrens benefit from lying. Everyone. And... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say there there's an, another um, parallel there that you just mentioned that was similar with the last last episode being behind in rent needing to get out of rent needing to get the money mm-hmm. the same thing with the last episode but the Lutzes at the at Amityville mm-hmm. um, as mm-hmm. also another thing that I noted I found out um, about this house. Uh, currently, the house uh, that the Snedekers own, um, it is still currently occupied. It is somebody's personal home now. And this per- these people have been living there for 10 years, and they have recorded nothing. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I'm sure I, the Warrens would take I'd, credit for that. I'd live there. So, so yeah, here's probably. the thing, too. I wouldn't. So... Unless I, it was completely stripped out, like everything, like every traces of a funeral home being gone. Well, well, I'm I'm pretty sure that the Snedekers weren't the first people to live there uh, after it being converted right. from a mortuary. So we have no other claims, and then we go on to, and I don't think you touched on this, but the. You may have touched on this, but um, I know that Ed and Lorraine researched into the house, saw that it was a mortuary, and were saying that the funeral directors were practicing necromancy in there. I did mention that, but when I was looking through um, the the main art, the main source that I was getting for this, did not really touch on that. I, I thought I searched something about that. That sounded yeah. So. So right here, um, where is, and it, it goes into, and that's where we get it into the movie. The plot of the movie, um, is they believe that that's what it was. So, and of course the movie is literally called the haunting in Connecticut. And obviously the, they see, uh, their psychic research and seances and stuff like that. And so the, the Warrens did really believe that, that there was necromancy happening in there. I, I just. Did they use the term necromancy in the movie? In the movie. Yes. yes. Okay. It's been a while since I've seen the movie. In in the movie, they, they claim that, um, 
They were that seance, or when they did a seance, they that the remains and stuff had told them that necromancy was happening. Right. And matter of fact, the priest actually tells the boy and the parents. Yeah. Um, that yeah. it's just so I obviously it's just a big money grab. Um, and they made money off of it. I mean, a book was written, uh, same, same, uh, what in a dark place, I believe is what it is. Yes. By um, Ray Groton. And then, so they're getting money off of in a dark place, both the Warrens and the Snedekers. They're still getting royalties. Anytime he sells that book, they're still getting royalties. That family's getting royalties. Um, obviously, um, um, the Warrens aren't getting anything anymore. Um, because they are dead. Um, it also, um, a number of TV shows have actually prominently featured the, the Snedeker family and the haunt and the ta- story about the haunting in Connecticut. I actually remember a very well known paranormal show on Discovery Channel. I actually think it might have been like the first of a paranormal files. Um, I believe it was the one where they have like the actors playing out the the situation, yeah. And there'd just be the guy, the the deep dark, the mm-hmm. warrants, mm-hmm. dude, like that, like that. It was actually, I think that was like really one of the first, you know, big paranormal TV shows that they that Discovery started like playing on there, um, before all the reality TV haunting shows took over. Um, but the first episode I remember was a haunting in Connecticut. And I remember it scared the shit out of me. And I was like, this is a document. Is this a movie or a documentary? Is this a documentary or a movie? Holy yeah. Crap. So um, literally any time that anybody is using this story, all of these people are getting royalties. They're getting money. And it, it's just a big money grab. Mm-hmm. And again, I've stated this before. I believe in ghosts. I believe in all of that. I believe in hauntings. But this is a little ridiculous. Yeah. When you have to call in Ed and Lorraine Warren to validate what your claims are. Like, to be honest, if they wouldn't have died, uh, Ed died in 2006. Lorraine just died in 2019. Yeah, very um, recently. She was almost a, she was over 100, I think. And yeah. she she was still going as long <laughs> as she could. Um yeah. and I still believe that they would be out there trying to yeah, make some more money and make more yeah, movies. But Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um like for me and I'll I'll ask this. Um who see I, I always felt the better of the televised ghost hunters was always taps the 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 people who did ghost hunters on sci-fi channel i always oh, felt i remember that as long as it's not zach baggins because he's a no joke he really is the taps team i always felt was um that was I felt was like the best standard for if you're gonna televise doing this, you know, go in with the idea that this is not a haunted house right. or whatever. Right. And I mean, eventually, I think they they fell into the trap that every televised ghost hunting crew does fall into. They just go to the famous locales, 
just for the ratings to keep the show going, yeah. which is, again, at the end of the day, they are, you know, TAPS did start out as a nonprofit, you know, volunteer group. So, but then this became their thing, their income. So they went with the money is, but they still, I felt they always still went in to think, oh, let's see if we can debunk it. Yeah. Um, and they and there were plenty in the first few seasons. They debunked plenty of stuff. They went there to like, like we have the ghost of this monk that f- walks the grounds. He's like, is there a monastery or a church nearby? Yeah. No. I'm like, well, yeah, and that and that's the thing nearby? with with like Zach Baggins. Have you ever watched an episode where there's not a ghost? Nope. There's some kind always of weird, a ghost, and up- he and he runs in there. <laughs> Kicks out of the door. I'm gonna fucking kill you, ghost. And yeah. and then oh, I just got possessed. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, I don't know what happened. Like that literally is every episode. Like I I want to fucking kill you. Looking right to True. his friend. True. I I want to like they they went and visited the hotel that Richard Ramirez stayed at. Uh, it was that, that it was the big the big uh yeah. episode that they did mm-hmm. that got a lot of people to download uh uh one of the streaming platforms just for that and i watched it i i thought i liked it just because the stanley it's an interesting story um but uh they go into the richard ramirez room and they all feel like they want to kill somebody because this is where richard ramirez worshiped the devil but in between his killings and I walked in there and I felt a sharp pain in my neck and I wanted to look over to him and wrap my, wrap my arms around his neck and strangle him to death. But then I walked outside, took a breath and I was fine. That's, that's That's how convenient. That is how Zach Baggins is. Zach Baggins, you are a fucking joke. Just yeah. saying every, every, so, and it's, it's kind of sad because, um, I want, I listened to another podcast, which helped inspire us to do this, um, which is Necronomapod and they, they had on a paranormal investigator, which I would, I need to rewatch the episode so I can get her name. I'm going to see if I can get her in with us. That would be awesome. Jason uh, Hawes or Grant or um, if well, any of the TAPS members ever listen to this, please I, we'd love to talk to you. I forget what her name is, but she she's a legit paranormal investigator, and she worked with all of those people. She worked with Zach Baggins' crew at the beginning and said that he was a legitimate paranormal investigator. And then when the TV show came and the ratings came, their their first few shows there were legit hauntings. And then he saw the ratings and he started faking stuff. He was putting rods in, in walls to make pictures drop off. He was Mm. putting speakers in walls and doing this and that manipulating cameras. And it just got to be about money and ratings. So, um, as it did with the Warrens, as it did with a lot of these hauntings. Yeah. And I think we should, I think to end this note on, um, to everybody, um, I tried to find some words of wisdom for it. Um, don't jump to conclusions, really. There's really no deeper meaning for this. Uh, don't jump to conclusions. 
don't believe anything the warrants say, and um, if you somehow do encounter a very scary paranormal entity, um, try not to panic. I don't know. <laughs> I've been, I've had paranormal. Clock out of dodge. There, yeah. there you go. That too. Because uh, guess what? Um, if it, if your house is haunted, it can't follow you. Actually, in most, most yep. cases, entities don't follow you. And that if you're just stuck a... with them, get proof. Uh, yeah. Um, um, and... Also, it should be noted the Catholic Church doesn't exercise houses because houses aren't real things. In order to become possessed by a demon, you have to have a soul. Um, so gingers, gingers are safe. So, <laughs> one thing... Oh, I guess my kids are good. So one thing that we are, one thing that we're going to do is, um, actually Ben and his wife are coming down to visit in May. Um, and we, I got free tickets to the Ohio state reformatory, which is the most haunted prison in the United States. It's defunct. It's, there's a prison behind it, but the actual reformatory doesn't exist. Well, we're, we're doing a self-guided tour. And I think I'm going to talk to, I'm going to email them and see if we're allowed, but I'm going to see if I can record us going through it and going through the reformatory. Cause it's a, we can't, can't record during a guided tour, but I'm pretty sure we're allowed to record during the self-guided tour. So, and we we're for ourselves. Yeah. With the self-guided tour, you see like 85% of the facility. So, mm. Um, I got free tickets. I won free tickets for that. And I was like, I got four tickets. I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait till Ben and Pam can go. And I promised Pam that we wouldn't go at night when it's the most haunted. We're going during self guided tour during the day. Um, but yeah, so if I'm allowed to, I'm, I will record that and we will actually post it. That'll be at the end of May. Um, and We'll, we'll let you guys know once I find out if I can record that, but, and maybe for that week, we will do a episode on the Ohio state reformatory. That would be interesting just to see a little history behind it yeah. and see what the cause of some hauntings are. Um, so. but yeah, so, uh, we want to thank everybody for joining. Um, we will be back next week with another episode. Um, and yeah, we want to thank Car and Elliot for joining us as well. Um, they won't be here every week, but they will be here uh, off and on, depending on what the topics are. But with that, I want to thank you for visiting the Scarlet Tavern. Remember to turn in your glasses, push in your seat, and as always, don't forget to tip the bard. Have a good night, everybody. Night. Night. Night.